So I had a chance recently to talk to an old friend, Charles Bennett. Um, when I was contracting back in Marin in California, Charles was one of those few insulation contractors who actually went beyond uh, what was necessary in a lot of cases and what was beyond code and just took a lot more time and care in the way he insulated homes. Uh, he learned about passive house and high performance homes about the same time I did. And it was very enlightening for both of us to figure out and to find out what we were doing wrong uh, and how we can get better at what we were doing. And Charles kind of took that on upon himself and really perfected the art of insulation in that area. Uh, he has since retired, but I caught up with him and, and had a nice chat with him. It was great to catch up and hear his thoughts about how we've how we've excelled in insulation and sometimes have failed in what we do and how we build homes and and hopefully pass these words on to other contractors so that they understand the importance of these front end uh, design issues that we have to deal with when we're designing and building high performance homes. And that's something we're, we're all striving for. And it's so essential that we don't put some of these things on the back burner, like insulation and HVAC and set, et cetera, the air barrier, um, that they're actually designed right from the get-go with a team that's dedicated to uh, performance rather than uh, meet a deadline or make a certain profit. We have to get to a certain phase where we've figured out all the errors that we're doing, a way to get through them efficiently, and then move on and get, get the shell perfected, get the homes perfected so we have good housing stock for future generations to enjoy. So here's my conversation with Charles. Um, have a listen. It's about an hour long, but it's a great, great catch up, great, great exchange of dialogue. So enjoy. Thanks. I keep asking everybody how it is on their end and I get uh, different results, but I guess it depends on where you're at. And I don't know. It, uh, it seems great. I mean, I guess, with everything that's happened, it's taken leaps, you know, of being able to call somebody from anywhere in the world and just. I know. Crazy, huh? Remember the days when you used to have to dial a phone and all that good stuff? It's like, they don't, they don't yeah, believe I us. Still have a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sucks getting old, but at least we can talk about the old technology and compare it to today. Yeah. Yeah. So where, whereabouts are you at? You're in Michigan. Is that right? I'm in Escanaba, Michigan, which is in the southern part of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Whenever I hear Upper Peninsula, I already get cold and kind of shivers. And I not not a few of my friends have, were really wondering if I had taken leave of my senses to come up here and spend the winter, but I hadn't been through a winter in forty years, fifty years, so it's like. Well, you know, it's I. I always had fun in the winter time. I mean, you can have fun. So, yeah, anyway. at least you had that in your so, childhood. I didn't have that. So when I kind of moved to a different area and and experienced a yeah. winter, I mean, I know it was light compared to yeah. you guys up north, but it was kind of a shock to the system. Yeah. But I enjoyed going oh. to the snow and all that as a kid. So yeah, uh -huh. just kind of. Well, I mean, there's lots of things you can do. I mean, particularly up here, it's everybody's really outdoorsy. So right. uh, snowshoeing, skiing, snowmobiling, you know, whatever. Right. 
they have some downhill skiing over towards the western part. Yeah, I was so. going to ask. I, there, I guess there's resorts and stuff for people to take advantage of gravity and do some skiing. And you remember Katie Holbacher, yeah, yeah. right? She's up there now. She, she grew up. Oh there, wow, I didn't know. Up here somewhere, I think over a little more towards the west. And she was a, actually, from what I heard, she was a ski racer, and was competed and everything in like high school and stuff. So there's there's not so much here. It's really flat here, but you get over to the west of the, you know, western part of the state. And Andy Wall was from there too, right? Upper PI. Uh, he wasn't from the Upper Peninsula. He was from the Lower Peninsula, down around Quint and Bay City and that kind of area, which he's here now. He's down there, um, moved out here, and I actually talked to him a little while ago. Yeah, wish him well for me. I haven't talked to him in years. So... Um, well, thank you so much for taking some time. I know this is kind of weird and stuff, but I'm just trying to document uh, for our generation and future generations kind of what we went through and what we've learned in our however many years in the biz and based on your specific expertise, which for me was always insulation and how we deal with our walls and assemblies. So um, can we just go down that route for a few minutes and pick your brain and absolutely whatever you want to talk okay, about cool. is fine. so many several years ago we were for you know kind of learning about testing buildings and using blower doors and stuff to say oh shoot they're tight or not so tight or really loose and on top of that your your profession brought in well you also have to have this thermal performance of an assembly of, of a wall or floor or ceiling whatever you're dealing with mm-hmm. did did you know that when you first started or did you just i mean did you i mean i got educated as a builder of, of all these mistakes we were doing as builders and how we could do it better did you go through that same kind of aha kind of learning phase oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah i mean the whole air sealing thing the airflow through the building was a real a biggie for me i mean i always thought all that was a bunch of nonsense, you know? And maybe there was some, well, gee, you need to, a building needs to breathe, right? Well, it doesn't need to breathe, but it certainly needs to perspire. <laughs> That's an interesting line, yeah. Kind of the other flip side of that, I mean, and that's the other revelation is when you change one thing, you change something else. I remember Steve talking about yeah. Steve, we're talking about when they started insulating walls that a lot of times, 50, 60, 70 years ago, painters wouldn't paint your house if they knew you had insulation. And it was because the act of insulation changed the thermodynamics of the wall. And basically, the, the siding, the backside of the siding, everything would get really, you'd still have this this moisture moving through the building, you know, perspiring. When it hits the backside of the siding, wood usually, it's going to condense because it's uh, so cold and it basically ends up bubbling the paint. Then they learned about vapor barriers on the inside and how to manage that, you know. But you change one thing, other things right. change too. So Yeah, that was that whole kind of thing yeah. for me is that, oh, house is a system and it didn't really click until... 
you kind of follow the the investigation say well that caused that and that caused that and that's connected to that and you didn't do that right and that's why you have all these problems and we were looked at as like you know witchcraft is like what are you what are you talking about yeah so do you think our our industry has grown since then and 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 uh, maybe not embraced but at least accepted that yeah stuff's going on and because i know i'm in production building side now and i we test and look at their stuff and they they have to adhere to certain ACH and all that, but they're still not really un, they're not really connecting the dots as far as yeah I got to get this thing this radar tells me I had to have to hit this number and my walls have to be this R value my ceilings have to be this and you know it changes when I go over the mountain range I'm in a different climate whatever they understand the push of the code but that's about it and I, I don't mean to belittle them or critique them but. Do you see that changing or did you just didn't didn't worry about that? Just did work with who wanted you you wanted to work with? Well, as particularly the last 10, 15 years, you know, I started getting um, involved with the whole passive house thing in the Bay Area. Part of that. Um, and it was kind of a revelation. I mean, that you could heat a house with a hairdryer. Whoa. And I think one of the reasons I got into insulation is I just kind of hate waste. I mean, spending money to heat a house and just have the heat just fly out of the building, man, that really bothered me a lot. Um, And I got to the point that I could walk into a building and into a house and they'd want me to insulate one thing or another, and I could pretty much tell that it wasn't going to do anything. And only later did I figure out, okay, and that's because there's all these other things hanging out, right? Insulate the floor, well, nothing, you know. It didn't really make that much difference, you know. It certainly didn't make any that much difference in terms of the heat, um, uh, saving any money on their PG&E bill. Maybe they were a little more comfortable, but if the windows are single pane and the walls are barely insulated, you got all that cold air flooding down, you know, it's this big convection loop. It doesn't really matter whether the floor is insulated or not to some degree. Uh, I mean, it can, it'll help, but not that much. So, yeah, there was an interesting gentleman I heard, and I forget his name, and I'll try to make note of it, but, um, at the latest building performance conference he was from one of the insulators or one of the labs no he was from a national lab but he was explaining how insulation works which i kind of knew before but he really broke it down into you know the convection loop in every stud bay and you know it's not just you know the whole building but you have all these micro convection loops and that's what insulation is basically trying to well one of the uh, goals of the product did, did you ever see that yeah. as an insulator that and I guess it comes into play when we talk spray foam, but was there a danger of making a bridge instead of a barrier per se by using an insulative product? Can it, can it be dangerous if we get too dense? Um, yeah, I have heard that. And I, I don't have a problem with believing it, but the densities you would have to achieve to do that Right. I just was thinking about that today. Well, we're getting better at packing that that cell, that stud bay, 
uh, and I loved cellulose, you know that, and then you used every product under the sun. Did you, did you have a preference, especially, I guess, on the passive house side, we were, we were really trying to hit targets. And, and did that help with your infiltration, or were you, cons- were you just staying p- specific to the code but done really well? Well, mostly I think what we're talking about here is walls. When you're talking about dense packing, I mean, occasionally you dense pack a ceiling, but not that right, often. Right. Um, and, but walls are the weak point, really, for most houses. That's really where you're going to have, if you can make a big difference on the walls, you've really made, everything else is relatively easy. Um, I have seen, uh, in fact, you can find uh, insulation curves, uh, density versus R value curves, you know, charts, graphs. And up to about 3.5 pounds per cubic foot for cellulose. And beyond that, you get to four and it starts to come down, but it starts to come down really gradually. It's not like it just drops off a, off a cliff. Um, I don't know if I've seen the same thing with, I'm sure I must have with fiberglass, which also works pretty well. And actually at a much lower density, hmm. Fiberglass can actually do a better job of air sealing that wall. You'll get less air movement through it. Oh, interesting. I always thought it was the cellulose that was the better retarder. Yeah, me too. And so you've learned that over the years that, oh, yes, indeed, it was because we used that over that or this product worked well. You know, this whole thing about building science is so fascinating. And once I started getting into it, (laughs) I just love reading about it and, you know, Steebrick and the Building Science Corporation, I think, is one of the most amazing gifts to the American, you know, industry, anybody that can think of. Um, but you start digging around and you find all kinds of stuff that are, it's just fascinating, these charts and stuff. Letters from certainty that say that if you dense pack to something, something in a in an unvented ceiling cavity, a cathedral ceiling that you don't need venting, or you don't need exterior insulation. In the Bay Area, for instance, in milder climates, even uh, I know Building Science Corporation has been doing some research, and that's been going on for a while, about dense packing ceiling cavities with cellulose, um, particularly cellulose, and that it actually works out much to their amazement the the cellulose packing versus something else yeah Yeah. i remember they were always cutting open a roof of a big gymnasium or something that was sweating or and finding that yeah i mean the the conventional wisdom is you can't do that because the the it's going to get waterlogged up there over a period of a a winter and it's going to ruin your roof. well they did testing and you know they dense packed it well and and then they went in there the next summer and it was fine. <laughs> and they're, they're scratching their heads going, what the hell is this? What's going on here, you know? But particularly with cellulose, because and cellulose in, the, in this respect is a very interesting material. It's hydrophilic, which is it has an affinity for water. So if you get condensation on the backside of a roof deck or you get a roof leak, if you've got cellulose in there, it's actually wicking that moisture throughout into this entire mass of cellulose. Right, and if it's a big right. mass, it's 
it can hold an enormous amount of water. And do you, were they ever concerned about, okay, it can handle the, the water load, let's call it, but the dry out, how would it get dry if it was an unvented pocket? It dry, summer comes just along. Just heats it up and just. The roof heats up. It just, I think it just pushes it right out to the interior. Huh. Maybe it comes up through the shingles right. somehow, some way, right. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little bit of heat. Right or a moisture that, you know, transferred out of the building that way, but it just cooked it right out right. again. So in, in, when you were doing the passive house stuff, were, were they used, would they switch from cellulose to fiberglass or it just depended upon the team you were on at the time or what was the product of choice? Almost all cellulose, huh? yeah. <clears throat> Almost all cellulose. Gotcha. I don't remember ever doing any kind of a passive house at least walls and ceiling with anything other than cellulose. Do you think they um, could have achieved their number had they gone fire? I'm just curious. I'm not preferring one or the other. Sure. Well, loose fill fiberglass, yes. Oh, interesting. Fiberglass baths. No. Right. I'm talking well, something that's blown in or behind a netting or a web. Yeah. Or... yeah. Um, you do read about passive houses that use baths. Really? But... I, I mean, the last five, five years or so that I was in business, I could count on the fingers of one hand the times that I used bats in a building because walls and ceilings, floors, you don't, it, it's not so critical under floors, but um, boy, I just didn't really do anything else except dense pack. Um, and I kind of got known for that anyway, but I basically berated all the contractors that I worked with for so long that they finally gave up and said, okay, fine, do it the way you want to do it. Music to my ears. And that's, right. That's why you became everybody's favorite. Cause it was like, finally we found one that doesn't believe what all the other guys believe. The other part of that is their customers really liked it. I mean, I can remember a few of those that just were like, Oh, the owner uh, months later, right. The owner just was like, oh, she, she really asked me to tell you that, wow, she really likes it. I mean, it's cool in the summer. It's warm in the winter. It feels solid, you know. It's not all echoey. And, boy, they really liked it. Yeah. That was always the challenge of selling what we sold, right? If, if we could send them in time a year and say, here's what you're going to feel like if you let us do this X, Y, Z. and you could never sell that. They always wanted to see it in, in their own eyes or touch it, feel it, smell it. So it was a really hard sell selling the invisible. I mean, I'm glad some guys are doing it, but it was, it was tricky. But you're right. I mean, mm -hmm. as soon as you were in those environments, it's like, oh, night and day. Well, which brings us around to the subject of contractors, general contractors. Please. Right? Which I actually have a general's license, but I never really right. used it. Um, I have to be a little careful when I criticize them because it's not like they don't have enough on their plate already. Just trying to bring a normal house project and make at least some money on it and have it come out. I mean, all the regulations and everything they've got to satisfy and everything. So, and then you've got these, you got this other, this insulation contractor telling you that you have to do it this way. And it's like, 
I don't need it. So right. they're 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 so. thinking of you as kind of taking over their captain of the ship position or something and fearing you're steering the project? Well, I mean, I, I gave this talk and I think I actually forwarded yeah. it to you, the PDF. Yeah, the first slide is a big picture of Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> and of course, Rodney Dangerfield's famous line was, I can't get no respect, right? And that's exactly the way it is with insulation. It's an afterthought. It's something they have to do, but they could care less about. All I wanted, you know, just satisfy the code. As long as the inspector's happy, I don't care. But I don't want to spend any more money than I absolutely have to. And he expects me to run in there, my, me and another guy with a with a pickup load full of bats and put it in in an hour and may, he'll flip us each $100 plus the cost of materials. Sad, I know. That's basically, unfortunately, still the case. And Nathan's running into it, the new Mr. Insulation. Um, it's easy for us to do really good work when we work with really good teams and companies and people that want to do really good products, projects. But when you're outside of that arena, it gets challenging because, like you just said, it's so hard to to show them the value of doing it right versus trying to correct an issue later on, which what we deal with is like we're always addressing the front end, helping with the stuff. But in addition to insulation, HVAC also takes a backseat, right? They're like, where are we going to run this duct? Well, you should have planned that when you were talking framing, right? Or some other or layout or whatever, you, but you didn't. And now you want us to solve the issue and then you want it to work perfectly? Well, that's another one of those don't get me started things, right? Which you probably know better than I do. Well, exactly. And I, you know, I mean, it got to be, I mean, I'm an insulation contractor. But once I started taking all those PG&E courses, particularly in HVAC, which I really knew nothing about, and, you know, Andy Wall would give these presentations on air pressures in the house, you know, and and the way that both air sealing, but also the HVAC system affect that. Wow. And I got to the point where I could, I could, you know, cause I'm under the floor and in the attic and I could see just amazingly bad duct systems, practically brand new, you know? One huge house I did, and the the main supply they put a new furnace in, and the main supply was separated. And the guy was wondering why he didn't have any heat in the whole half of his house. And it wasn't until he wanted me to come in and, and insulate the floor, right? And here's this massive gap in the main supply that's leading into that section of the house. Wow. And then they pull the duct across a, a, a beam, a support beam, and kink the hell out of it. <clears throat> I'm an insulation contractor, and I know that's not right. I mean, come on. I mean, I know I definitely feel your pain, or, or hopefully you're enjoying your your kick your feet up and put that behind you. But it's glad to hear hear the words because people need to hear them. But. Um, what I see, and, and I'm not trying to defend or support, but in the production buildings 
community stuff that I see, and it's all every state almost, it's it's getting better than it was. And I'm glad to say that because it was getting pretty bad and we finally kind of course corrected. So we are out there testing systems, probably not well enough, but at least we're it has to deliver flow. It has to have a certain, you know, watts per CFM and all that good stuff. So we are it's it's ticking uphill, but it's a really slow on-ramp. And I don't know how to push that train any faster. I don't think it's going to move any faster because, like you just said, they're only going to do what the code tells them to do, unfortunately. There's a few builders that are kind of pushing yeah. that, and they're, they're getting for a little higher her score or a little higher leads or whatever their program is. For a little while, they're going to be able to get away with it. But the codes, particularly in California, which – on the one hand, it's great that they're continually clamping down. On the other hand, I don't think it's it's kind of not so great because, I mean, how much regulation can you take if you can't spit in the street and without getting in trouble? You know, it's kind of like, wow, this is getting almost onerous, you know? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I don't know if this is the right path you're going down, but I've heard, I mean, I talk to builders all the time. And they're like, yeah, we hate playing in California. And I, I love California. I'm a California boy. I was born and raised. But I can understand their position because it's so onerous to build there. And, it, and I don't know if that was your point or not. And correct me if I'm wrong. But that was one thing I noticed from my angle is you know, these builders build every state in the union. And they're like going to California and going, eh, is it worth it? Just because of that reason, which is unfortunate. but The whole push to get them to do what they really should be doing. Or at least that we think that we should be, they should be doing. Um, but building houses that are much more energy efficient, which isn't that hard to do, right? It really isn't that hard to do. But one of the issues that I have with the whole passive house thing is, <clears throat> and I suppose it's because it's early, early days in some respects, is it's got to cost a lot less. I mean, they're trying to build pianos. And, you know, I mean, you've got to make it. They're using, I mean, you're using expensive materials and stuff that I just don't think it has to be that expensive to build a really good energy efficient house. The challenge for Passive House is making it affordable is not not how much you can spend on the damn thing but how little you can spend on yeah, the damn thing. Yeah, which they would, if their destination is zero, make it zero extra cost or less cost. I totally agree with you and I put, I brought this up with Ann and Bronwyn and And I don't see any reason why you can't do it. I really don't. Um, it's just that there's a mindset particularly when you in the when you get started on something like this, there's a certain mindset, you know, particularly in California, you know, um, practicality kind of <laughs> goes flying out the window. Right. I know. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of why I've kind of backed away from it. It's like these people are like spending tens of thousands of dollars above and beyond for this out of the country piece of equipment or this technology over here, or this tile or this faucet or this. It's like, why are you right. doing that? Right. And it doesn't even make sense. Right. Which is uh, Chitwood, uh, Rick Chitwood's famous, you know, always was railing about uh, uh, Lee. And there was actually a lawsuit 
they were suing Lee for, I don't know, almost like a RICO kind of thing. I don't know, something like that. <clears throat> but that lead houses actually used more energy. Interesting. Well, definitely more embodied <laughs> energy, right? Um, There's got more product in it. There's definitely more embodied energy in a lead house than a regular house. Uh, I guess, but you know, it's just this uh, fascination with shiny objects, you know, the latest furnace that is 99.9% .9 efficient. Well, screw that. You don't need a furnace in a house that's built right. You can heat the damn thing with a fart. Not that you want to, but you know. <laughs> I know it almost got to like a, uh, I don't want to say elitism, but this level of Oh, I've achieved this award and you will never hit because I put all it, you know, this kind of got tainted in my, in my opinion, I'm, I'm sure it's a great system and I'm not trying to critique them, but yeah, that got kind of weird. I would like to see, like you just said, is like, let's create a house for the masses that outperforms all of that shit. I mean, I suppose it had good intentions, but it went so far off the rails that as far as I'm concerned, I just think it's a joke. So when I think a lot of other people think that too, um, but it's also, you gotta pay attention to it. All the building departments have all swallowed the, that, that particular Kool-Aid. So what are you gonna do, you know? Such a delicate dance, but all you gotta do is build a better box. Yeah, and that's why, from what I've heard is that <clears throat> if you say, well, I'm gonna build a passive house, some, jurisdictions are actually recognizing that oh okay here here's your permit oh interesting why do you is that a good thing or a bad well, thing well they're just that is a good yeah. thing you know bypassing all the little stuff that you gotta do this and that and, and lead and everything but if you tell them well i'm gonna build a passive house a certified passive house they say yeah Okay, because it's very well known, you know, it, there, there's no doubt about what a passive house is, right? And there's a level of verification and oversight, right? I mean, kind of, sort of, I don't know what it's it is more today. tested than any building you could build, you know? And it's so well thought out. Um, and it's, <laughs> the, the standards are so much higher than anything else that gets built these right. days. Do they not just are they concerned about the health and safety model. of a building officials inspection? Or are they just saying, take it away, go well, for it? I think that's part of it. I think a, a passive house is probably one of the safest buildings you could live in. Certainly one of the most comfortable from what I've heard. So, so uh, anyway, um, we were talking about codes and what's pushing things forward. Yeah. And he, well, I was amazed to hear you just say that you were kind of even on the past, were you having these challenges on the passive house product or just Joe Schmo, I need insulation and here's what I'm going to buy from you? I guess you had more luck working on passive house projects, doing it your way and the way that you preferred to do it. Well, there were very few, few. A lot of guys were building, you know, Terry Norby, guys like that, that were building houses uh, that were pretty close to passive house, you know. They didn't certify them because they didn't want to have to go through all the rigmarole that that entailed. But, um, but you know, there is hope, and it's starting to become known in the literature. You've got 
Journal of Light Construction, which has almost every issue has something having to deal with high performance housing and energy efficiency. You have guys like Matt Reisinger, who this on YouTube, who has this build show thing that he's been doing for about 10 years. And he's, you can see this steady evolution where he's, he's talking about how to insulate on the exterior of a building with rock wool, right? Comfort board and stuff. And he's actually, a lot of his projects are that, and he's visiting projects in, in all over the country right. and, and making YouTube videos about it. Um, so, so they can't ignore us much longer. They're going to, they're, <laughs> I've seen them too. Well, different places. It would be, yeah. I mean, it would be nice that it didn't have to be just the codes were pushing this, that people were also somehow getting interested in, Oh yeah, that sounds really great. I'd like a house like that. Can you build me one? Um, that's, that's now you're getting into the customer under it, which is going to be a little tougher to do, but you talk to some of the contractors that have gotten involved with this and built something and something happens to them. They really like it. Yeah. The contractors, I mean, they have all of a sudden, drank that particular Kool-Aid and they never go back, you know? Yeah. They can't, they can't not see it. I think that's really important. And that's certainly been the way with a few of my contractors that I work for. Um, and I'm pretty sure Nathan's having that experience too, probably a lot more than I am. I also see the other side of that, which is, the same old nonsense, <laughs> right? Um, probably more of that than guys actually really wanting to do something different. Hopefully over a period of time that'll switch, but Nathan is tearing his hair out and he's practically shaved bald. So that's a real feat, you know, guys that just, you know, the, the builder, the builder really wants him to do it this particular way. <clears throat> But the general contractor could care less. Right, he's got a schedule. The general yeah. contractor knows what's in the plans and how it's supposed to be and done. And what the code and requires, yeah. Well, what's in the plans, not okay, necessarily right. the code. It doesn't say anything about do it right. It just says that should have that in it, right? Yeah. Right. This is the way we're going to do it. This is the way the architect's drawn it. This is the way the owner wants it. And the general blows them off. Hmm. Do you think it then goes back to the getting the right architect on the project? Oh, absolutely. But how many times have you seen something drawn in the plans and then get on the job and he didn't do it? <clears throat> this happens all the time. At least on the production side, when I look, walk into an executive meeting, we're talking about design, value, engineering, and all that bullshit. The architect is the quietest mouse in the room, and it's scary that they don't have any weight in the room. The builder is telling the architect instead of, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a weird dynamic to see, and unless that builder gets convinced that it's the right, this different approach, whatever you're talking about is better, different, yeah. going to sell them more units, they're not interested. 
Well, it means the the owner is the one that's stuck in the middle, and ultimately, it's the owner that has to say, "No, I know. you had an we had an understanding that this is what you were going to do. Um, I'm not going to give you my reasons because it doesn't matter. That's what I decided to do, and it was in the plans." The insulation contractor's been all over you about doing it, you know, making sure that, you know, you knew what was coming and everything. And you just didn't, you just damn well didn't do it. You know, uh, a couple of examples uh, just recently, one of them, Nathan, another one that a contract or a, a Bob Bowles down in uh, Pacific. I don't know if you know him, but architect, we, we insulated his own house and he really got the bug and called me up just a couple of weeks ago and said, we got this house and the guy's building it and we, we specified this particular air seal for this, you know, before they, as they were putting it together, they didn't do it. And they found out about it and I guess maybe the owner's pissed and Bowles is pissed and now they're like calling me to go, you know, what are we going to do? Is there any way we can fix it? So Nathan is Nathan's the guy that, you know, has to deal with that. So bummer. It's going to keep happening. I mean, those stories drive me crazy, but geez, I mean, there's only so much you can right. do. You can't let it drive you, <laughs> you know, too crazy. Yeah. So. I hope he uh, hangs in there and, I go out and have a nice long lunch and an espresso, and that usually helps a lot. So. Good, <laughs> little pat on the back. So it says, I was, can we circle back to the? I guess I uh, maybe it's happening more in California, but I'm seeing in other states too of conditioned addicts and what they're getting away with and not getting away with when they say it's conditioned attic, and they are moving at least some builders their insulation, their thermal boundary to the bottom of the roof deck. Um, but they're still venting it. They're still venting that attic space with whatever kind of venting system you want to mention. But even though they're conditioning the even attic, though it's, and they call it a hybrid, the right? At least in California, and it doesn't. I mean, from a building science perspective, it makes no sense to me, and I don't even understand. A, how did the builder get convinced that that was a good idea? And you know, B, how did the commission approve it? But it's just, I would just want to make make sure I wasn't missing something that that's better than the other version, which was whatever. So what if the equipment's in a 120 degree attic, as long as the ductwork gets down and delivered well and blah, 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 and have the thermal boundary at the attic plane instead of the roof deck. Um, but yeah, I'm seeing, I like, where's your, why do you have a vent there? I thought this was a closeout. Oh yeah, it's right here. It's in the, it's in the code. Hybrid. It's like, what the hell is going on? It's that clash between the old and the new. I guess it's right? like compromise. It's like, yeah, but dude, you look like now two plus two does not. And at a certain four. point, they're going to get it, right? Yeah. It's know? so frustrating. Um, but and now other states are going to follow suit because they can't sell the whole package, so they'll sell the, the half-ass package and call it good. Yeah, well, I mean, there are in the code now, and it wasn't true up until about 10 years ago. You probably know more about this than I do. In the code now, they're very specific about how do you do, how do you insulate an unvented rafter space, right? A cathedral ceiling, maybe, whatever you want to call it. 
um, to avoid condensation issues, right? That's the main thing is the condensation that you have to worry about, the whole moisture issue. Um, and they're very specific about it now. It's in all the codes. So there's no doubt about it. It's just that most building departments don't have any experience with it. Is there thinking then perhaps, yeah, this is great new technology, but I'm still worried about the condensation issue. Therefore, I need to introduce ventilation somehow to get rid of that issue so I don't have to worry about it. Well, it's about with any building department, that's a bureaucracy. Yeah, true. They have rules that they've got to follow and they don't have a lot of wiggle room. You know, they have to follow the rules and to some degree, even though there may be something in the code about advanced framing, for instance, try and get an advanced framing project through a building department. It'll basically, you know, their heads explode. Same thing with, you know, uh, putting insulation at the rafter line and having a conditioned attic. Yeah, there's a few builders that they're going full bore that method and they're just they're running with it. Other builders too, they're, they want to do spray foam, but then they're worried about what happens behind the spray foam at the roof deck. You know, with good reason. Sure, but someone's got to like, okay, just pause, just design it well. It'll never hit dew point. Just put another outside layer, do something so they alleviate that issue and then go forward. Yeah, there's certainly things you can do, um, but it, it's, I mean, it certainly is, it takes a little more thought um, to think out how you're going to do it. And it's probably definitely more expensive um, if you're going to insulate at the rafter line. Right. I agree with you. And I don't know if you could talk to this, but Bronwyn brought it up that um, we were talking about if a little bit more time was devoted to the front end planning and design of things, you could spend less time building it. So the actual the line of production gets the, it's the same distance, but, and I was saying, yeah, that's great, but convince them to stay in the, on the, you know, in the conference room another week. And Which is what passive house is all exactly. about. And I, I think that's the dynamic shift. It's not so much it is too, but product and methodology, but also the, just how we build how, what that process looks like and how much time we devote to each phase of the process. There's a young man that I know that, building his first house and he wanted he went really early when he told me this i said well you know if you want to really make this something really good let's talk about it let's talk about it before you get all these plans drawn right i kept after him and after him about it i have to be a little bit careful because I'm sort of related to him. Didn't happen. Architect gets all the plans drawn and I don't think the architect is a big firm in San Francisco. I don't think he'd ever build anything close to that. Completely unfamiliar with the whole principles, right? Um, so here we are, you know, Plans are all drawn and all of a sudden they're, they're going, oh, how are we supposed to do this? And I basically tear them a new one, right? Go back in time and do it right. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's so frustrating. I go this, 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 this. 
And then at the end, I couldn't help it. I said, you know, I've been wanting to have this conversation for like six months. Now we got to have it, which this should have happened six months ago. Now, everything, it changes stuff. The architect's got to go back and redo a whole bunch of stuff, which is a waste of time. And... Well, we just keep voicing our scratchy opinions and hopefully someday somebody will listen and say, oh, yeah, maybe that was a good idea. Well, luckily, Katie Holbacher was involved in it. And Katie's an engineer. Her her shop is really involved in that stuff, and she carries some weight. Listening to some bozo insulation contractor that calls himself Mr. Insulation is not something that you know most architects are going to take very seriously, right? Good for her. So Katie knows. I mean, she's done yeah, all that sure. stuff. Yeah. So, well, you know, we got to keep keep at it. And I am. I don't know about you, but whenever I get a chance, I let my opinion loose. I don't give a shit anymore what people think. But no. they got to know, and they're not going to hear it otherwise. I've been thinking about building or buying a house up here. I probably will at some point, but looking at all these houses which are pretty basic houses and housing is relatively cheap at least in certain places around here and going oh man look at that i could if i i could get that for all it's only forty thousand. boy that's perfect i could pull the siding off insulate clean up the wiring dense packet she that Six inches of rock wool. No, 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 no. <laughs> Driving myself absolutely nuts. You know. Well, it's either that or a hot rod in your garage, right? So you pick and whatever makes you happy, dude. Yeah. yeah. But I think hey, that's not a great, you know, terrible idea because you could even call the news and say, "Look what I'm doing." Some get some press. Well, if. If I did that, then I would probably be talking to the building department going, hey, guys, you want to see something interesting? Yeah. There is a guy uh, building passive houses in the northern tip of the lower peninsula, down around Alpena. And it's somebody that I actually talked to a long time ago that was, he had a post on uh, the Passive House California site. Is he building them to sell or just what's he doing with them? Do you know? Uh, I don't believe he's I think he's acting as a contractor for people that want that kind of a house so because that would be an interesting you know start as a small cottage builder and that this is just what I put out this is my product it just so happens that they're high performing houses but you know down the street there's the production builder you can go buy his crap or you can buy my high performing house that won't cost you anything to heat and cool well I mean for me as a contractor uh, particularly the last five years or more I said no a lot, and I really enjoyed that. I gotta say, you know, they want you to come in there again, you know, pick up a load full of bats, run in there and knock it out in an hour and flip you a hundred bucks, right? That kind of deal. And I would just say, I don't do that kind of work. Here's what I do do. And occasionally, one of them would say, "Hmm, okay, let's try it." I mean, the thing about insulation that I always heard was I would worry about my pricing. You know, oh my God, I'm charging more than bats, <laughs> right? I'm charging more than than um, uh, uh, Costco 
a Costco contractor, right? And a lot of the guys would say, you know, don't worry about it. Insulation is always the cheapest thing on the job anyway, which I, you'd probably know better than I would if that's true or not. Well, it was a, it was definitely a small budget item, but I would adjust it up and down depending upon whatever the flavor of the project. So if, you know, my dense pack would cost probably maybe 80%, maybe 100% of what bats would cost for somebody, some bozo just running in and throwing them in. <clears throat> um, then I would worry about that. But at a certain point, I just said, <laughs> I'm not worried about it anymore. I mean, go find somebody else. Do you think you would have had that attitude had you been in a different spot and not not had that activity of this other group of people that really appreciated good insulation? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. And that's I, a tough one. You can coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? Uh, yeah. But I just go back to my experience of walking into some houses and just knowing I really wasn't going to be able to make much of a difference because there was just something else bigger going on with this house than this little me insulating the attic. And at that time, I didn't really know about, you know, the whole impact of how the HVAC system is configured. Um, particularly in Marin, an absolute epidemic of furnaces that were wildly too big. Not just a little bit too big, but I mean unbelievably too big. And the classic um, um, what do they call it uh, when the furnace is too big? It comes on, it shuts off, it comes on, it shuts off. Cycling, yes. Yeah. Short cycling. Yeah, and, and air conditioners, when they need them, what, a week, uh, maybe a few days? At, you know, some locations in Marin, not all of them. We're talking Marin, California, Marin County. Um, but, yeah, silly. But all that's climate-based. But you, you were tuned into that because you were the guy that was putting the fur coat on the house that needed it or didn't need it or how thick the fur coat needed to be. And they either listened to you or yeah. not. And Well, I mean, the insulation and HVC go hand in hand. Yeah, that whole, yeah. Um, it's a really more than almost anything else. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, just hearing Rick Chitwood and – this guy, uh, Allison Bales, who has this blog and has a company that actually sizes and figures heating systems, setting the plans, he sends it. So does it according to manual J, manual S, manual D, you know? Um, those guys in uh, uh, Nevada City, Grass Valley, uh, Dan Pronko, his talk on how to optimize HVAC systems was amazing. Some of the things that he's talking about doing are, I just, it's just like, wow. Right. I mean, he's he's I dialing it in for sure. Him and Gavin are, you know, for their, yeah. for their population, for their climate zone, for their housing stock, they have it dialed in. And that's what every builder could do. And I did some of that with, uh, before I sold my house, I put in a new heating system. And I made sure I didn't, I actually got a 4060, right? 40 being the lowest you could probably get for a whole house system. 
and I made sure, damn sure it was running only at 40. And I had the ducts. I said, I want big ducts. I want R8 insulation. And I want it to pass, you know, the 6%. Well, we hit 8%. Um, but there were a couple of things that I made my own cold air return, which I was extremely proud of. But, you know, we used the existing boots and stuff. So, okay, 8% is pretty damn good. But, you know, if it, it's, if a furnace is configured properly, it should run almost continuously on the coldest day of the year. That's what I've been told. It makes a lot of sense. Me too. Same same classroom we were sitting in. Yeah, I heard those stories too. And then I totally agree. I get with my gal now and say, hey, yeah. it's it needs to run all day. If it's running all day, that's a good thing. Don't but worry about total, it. Totally counterintuitive. I know. Too. That's what we do. Well, so is destination zero, right? It's like, why would you head towards zero? It doesn't yeah. even make sense mentally. I mean, you tell a customer that and the like, really? But once you explain why this running and running and cycling and cycling and running and running, you know, Rick Chitwood on that, that, um, yeah. house up yeah, north. His, um, uh, was a duplex had, or uh, triplex. Yeah. yeah. And bad insulation, perfectly sized system. He controlled all the fenestration. I mean, all of that yep. was, uh, yep. smart framing. So all his, he was on 24 on center. So, but he dialed it in and he got the perfect. Well, the one that I heard about that he talked about a lot was and used in his presentations was one that he said, he, he told the builder, look, you let me do the insulation and configure the heating system and install it and you can do everything else. And I will guarantee the heating bill. And apparently he pulled it off. Yeah, definitely. So. I mean, we're worth considering that now too. But I told the execs, it's like, you cannot make that promise unless you do control the insulation, you do control the shell, you do control the window selection, you do control the mechanical design. And then yeah. maybe you can promise an energy bill guarantee. But until then... What was it? It was some ridiculous amount per year, like $200. Yeah. In, for for in, his build, yeah. really seriously Central Valley climate, right, you know. Right. But he pulled it up. 110 yeah. in the summertime. Right. He probably locked the thermostat so, so they couldn't play with it. And but wow. yeah, no, I, you know, I worship Rick. I would haul his equipment anywhere, anytime. I just loved hearing his stories and his words. And mm -hmm. yeah. I just want to carry that torch along if I can. I hope you do too. And share your stuff sometimes, and write it down, and take pictures, and let me know when you're doing something. I'll come up and shoot some pictures or something. I'd love to hear your stuff. And definitely if you start doing a house, that would be interesting to kind of the project we did in Marin. Remember the Point Reyes project where we lifted the house or Terry lifted the house. It was so fun to see you guys. Just, every time I drove on that job site, you guys are almost giddy. And it was so fun to see. <laughs> it was like, holy shit, these guys are having a good time working. Yeah. And it was just. Yeah, that first blue house was uh a real eye-opener, I think, for everybody. Yeah, so. doing the whole underbelly and getting the numbers we got to. Yeah. And yeah, kudos to you guys. Yeah. You did a great job. That was, 
that was definitely a, a fun project. So. On the new part, we didn't the uh, I remember talking with Bill and Graham. Didn't we decide that we just do the shell and then do the interior walls after insulation was put in the walls? Did that does that practice continue? And do you see value in that methodology? Um, I see value, but I think it's impractical. A double double dipping on labor time. Well, yeah. Then you've got to somehow you can't just frame the wall on the floor and tip it up, right? Oh, you mean the interior because wall, like you did before? The interior wall. You. Yeah, you can't. You can't really do that um, unless you were to frame it up, take the bottom plate off, and slip it in after the fact. <laughs> Set the bottom. Well, it's plate, interesting you say that. Yeah, because I was seeing tip the whole wall up because you've got to have that room to kind of right. You know. Yeah, I was in a. Don't mean to interrupt you, but I was in a. a new construction project in Nevada, I think we were, or somewhere where it was a basement where a lot of the houses are built with basements and all the framing was held off the floor and like, and some nails stuck through and like, what the fuck's going on? And like, well, they're going to pour, they're going to do something to tie it in. And so that was, it was something unusual I hadn't seen, but maybe you've touched on something of a design workaround where you could do that. And it would be more practical while the framers there, he just frames up all the walls and stacks them in the corner. I don't know, but well, I think there's ways of doing it without going to that extreme. <clears throat> um, you know, Chitwood would talk about on the exterior walls, he would hold the, the interior walls back just enough to slip the drywall behind it. The attic, if you're going to have an attic, that's probably easier to take care of. So I don't think you really need to drywall the entire ceiling and then put the interior walls in. Hmm. You've got right. issues with support and everything, right? right? Especially if your boundaries but, on the roof deck versus the attic floor, right? Is yeah. that is it? Would that be your preference? Uh, completely, if you had to go around so the whole envelope, would you choose the roof deck or the attic plane for for your thermal boundary? For the thermal boundary, well, I think you can. The main issue there is air sealing, right? Well, and the holes, I guess, yeah. You know, I mean, if you're going to put the HVAC in the attic, that's the other problem, obviously, you know, outside the envelope, which impacts whether the 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 HVAC guy is a knucklehead or not, and, you know, leaves a, does a sh shitty job of configuring and sealing up the ducts. But um, I think you can do... I don't think you have to go to the extreme of putting the thermal boundary at the rafter line and having a conditioned attic. Um, you can, with just a little bit, of, I mean, it doesn't take much to be able to figure out how to air seal the ceiling plane. At least take it into account. Right. I mean, hey, what if you were to build the interior walls and then drape some Tyvek over the top of that wall and just leave it. <laughs> right. Then you put your ceiling joists in, you frame the whole thing up, you do whatever you're going to do. You drill your holes, whatever. You put some foam in there or however you want to do it. Terry's got his own way of doing that, you know. Um, and then it comes time to drywall the ceiling. You just flip the Tyvek out and bring the drywall up and have some kind of a seal there and ah, how hard was that 
I know we, we have to figure this out because unless we can save them time and or money or hopefully both, they're not going to change lanes. Well, I think little tricks like that. I mean, building is all about little tricks. Exactly. And that's a little trick that is dead easy to do. I mean, even just putting a bead, I mean, a sealer, I mean, do the airtight drywall approach, which Steebrick has talked about, you know, how, how hard is that? They even make that foam stuff, that little sealer in a can that you put a bead of it and it dries and it doesn't harden and you can actually slap it and maybe even push it a little bit and it won't impact it. That's going to make a pretty damn good building. Right, and it doesn't. How how hard is that? Uh, but it's like you said, it's it's hard. in the plans. But the guy that has the can in his hand, you know, drop the lid or whatever, and it gets kicked into the corner and all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, Stebrick and um, Chitwell both have railed about the the attention to detail, the uh, the quality of work that gets done in the United States. Um, I guess you have to be a little forgiving about it because people have to care about that. The owners have to care about it. The architects have to care about it because doing it right, you're never going to do it right for the same amount of time as you're going to do it wrong. Because isn't that usually what it yeah, comes it might down not to, bite you it? now and you might make a little profit, but the money you spend on the lawsuit yeah, and the complaints care. later. Yeah. You don't care, right? Exactly. All you want to do is get the drywall on and get it painted and get out of there. Yeah, they just want to sell it. Yep. That's and if that's the only thing that the customer is seeing and the building department is seeing and the architect is seeing, who am I? They're just, it's too easy just to say, oh, that guy's nuts. You know, we don't need to listen to him. What, what are they chattering about over there? I know, it's so hard to, you touched on earlier, just kind of convincing, maybe it has to come from the buying market, the, the public. But even there, that's a yeah. hit and miss. That's a harder yeah, sell exactly. for sure. But um, really, it's the architects. And then it's, holding the contractor's feet to the fire. Yeah, I think you really need, need to be fair with the contractor though, and be extremely upfront about what you expect from him. If you have to go through and put a separate sheet in bold 24 point type that says, <clears throat> you will seal the bottom plates before you set the wall. You will seal the exterior sheathing with this tape. You know, you will bring this house in under one air changes per hour at 50. Interesting you say that because you don't have those repercussions in the resident. But I remember in working in commercial, you would get fined $50 for every outlet you covered as a drywaller or whatever. They would put a you know price tag to it. And sure enough, hey, Kevin, send out the bill. What bill? Hey, he covered up three outlets today. Send him a bill. There was no, oops, sorry. No, you got a bill. You're going to pay for it. You're going to come out and fix it, and you're going to get, get a good bill. But I, I hear you, man. I think you have to be fair to the contractor, the general. He's got a lot on his plate, but if it's super clear, 
that this is what he's not building his father's Oldsmobile here, that this is something different and that he's agreed to it, right? If he says, I agree, and he doesn't do it, that's one thing. And you're talking specifically about Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner who are asking a contractor to build them a home versus the couple that walks down to the model community and buys a home from Mr. Builder. You're talking the, the, a more intimate relationship with a builder. If you want this box that you're about to go into to perform and you have these high expectations, like you just said, put it in writing, you know, get signatures, get buy-in. And I would also add, bring in your team. So they hear me say it too. Bring in your HVAC guy, bring in your insulator, bring in whoever you think needs to hear it, which is never going to happen, but at least you could say it. Well, yeah. And I railed about that a few times, you know, why the hell didn't you talk to me about right. this? You right. know, we could have done this so much better at virtually no extra cost. But now remember that famous project in San Francisco, you probably heard about Go ahead, fill us in, tell us. Big house, you know, big company, you know, really architect, fancy architect, passive house. They're going to make a passive house, you know, that's what they want. Certified, certified passive house. So they get it all, they get it all done. I think it, I think, I think they got it all done and they brought in a guy to pressure test it to get their their air loss number didn't pass not even close they didn't do any testing air infiltration testing along the way they just came in for the final oh boy not good so this is a multi-million dollar project yeah right, right. so they're all of a sudden they're frantic they're calling terry they're calling andy <laughs> and they go in and look at it and, you know, Terry's saying, well, you know, I can do some things, but really you're screwed. You screwed the pooch basically as the old expression goes. They, I don't know what they were thinking, but they weren't thinking. Yeah. It's almost like the, uh, the owners of these passive house certified passive house products have to go through their own certification process <laughs> just to make sure that they're aware of, uh, the challenges of the, what they're about to embark on. Yeah. And it is a challenge. Exactly. It's not sure. easy. It will get but better and you, easier as we go. But right now it's, if you've got somebody that's done it, right. Yeah. That's all of a sudden it's not that difficult. Right. right? You're, you're, you're taking the steps, you're doing it in order that needs to be done. Right. And you mentioned it like creating the team. If that is indeed your target as a home builder, you know, you're going to hire somebody and you have these high expectations, hire the guy who's done it before or the gal and that team. They've, they have a track record. Don't hire Joe Schmo who says, yeah, oh yeah, I can do, how do you spell passive? Yeah, I could do that. No problem. Yeah. It's crazy. Or they think it's a passive solar. I know they get, that's what I'm saying. It's like, they don't, it's way over their head. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> as you say, I mean, to some degree, it's still early days, and it'll eventually. It's it's picking in a few doorways. I've seen it pop up here and there as a, an option or an alternative route. So it's and like you just said, that'd be cool on that permit thing. If hey, you're building passive, here you go, front of the line or whatever. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, 
Well, slowly. <laughs> I hope so. I hope we'll see something before we depart. We've done our we've well, done our damage. All we can do now is reflect. There's the real challenge is uh, the whole remodel market. I mean, obviously, we've got all these houses that are what they are and that incredibly inefficient and what are you going to do about that you know that's really real challenges um at least if we're going to make any real dent in bringing down that 40 percent of energy spent in the united states is on heating cooling houses right and crappy houses right i wouldn't say crappy but just they didn't know you know back then they didn't that wasn't really you put a big furnace in and you know yeah, I remember handing my dad nails as he built houses, and there was no insulation in walls as when we were building houses as kids. That's just how you built. I moved to Marin, and one of the reasons I got into it, insulation is when I did get into insulation, it was like, holy moly. <laughs> there isn't any here. <laughs> There's no insulation. They built these houses without right. insulation. What's insulation? <clears throat> in fact, there was even an advertisement on YouTube or something, I think I found it. And they were extolling these new houses for sale in the 50s. And in California's mild climate, you don't even need insulation. That was the pitch. They put a big furnace in, gas. I mean, my first car, I think I got it in like 1970, 1969. Gasoline was 19 cents a gallon. Gas wars. What was natural gas? Did they even bother to charge for it, right? Yeah. Put a big furnace in and who cares? Right. So, but here we are, so. I know, times are a change and hopefully building will too. It's a slow boat to turn around or course correct, but can't well, give up. I'm happy to hear that you're trying to do something about it, so. Well, thank you. I, yeah. I'm trying. I mean, on both planes, both in my professional and kind of my free time, is trying to still mm -hmm. push and pull and nudge and you know get people to do the right thing or at least think about it. So yeah, it's it's uh -huh. fun. Well, once that that once it gets under your skin, <laughs> the whole high performance building bug and building science bug, it doesn't let go. Right. Continues, right? So. Which is, yep. uh, yeah, it's one of those passions you can't kind of let go, right? It's like mm -hmm. good yeah. tasting Kool Aid. Yeah, I would, I would love to do a building up here, um, and uh, see what if there's any interest up here. So, well, keeping, I know there's going to be a lot of. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> right, they're not going to touch it. Are you going to get a, a yeah. weird group of people that say, "Yeah, we'll try it." Or, but that's cool, man. You got to start yeah. somewhere, start the movement. Well, if there was any a place ever a place that would it would interest people, it would be up here. Right, I mean, the Great North. Yeah, Upper Peninsula gets a lot colder than the yeah, Lower. Yeah, I know we didn't get into it, but I'm sure your your perception of quality of a build in there in that neighborhood, that region of the country, is a little bit different than San Francisco as far as thermal comfort. This is a very old town. Uh, Escanaba was uh, a big part of the iron ore industry. Mm. 
uh, mining. Upper Peninsula is known for its iron and copper mining. Uh, enormous amount of iron ore, mountains and mountains of iron ore came out of here in Marquette and up towards Hancock and Houghton. Um, also timber, a lot of timber came out of here. This is a huge shipping port. And all these build a lot all these buildings around here are like late eighteen hundreds. So there's a lot of really old buildings and I think most of those buildings are so well built they'll never fall down unless you somebody does something stupid. Infinity. Which is why a lot of the buildings in San Francisco probably will stand forever because well, they're not insulated, <laughs> but there's so much air movement right. going through those walls. I know. That... It was so fun to find perfectly nice redwood that was, you know, 100 years old, that's well-preserved in these non-insulated oh, walls. Well, yeah. They're, the walls are uninsulated, <clears throat> and I would get called out to insulate the walls. Well, the first thing I would look at, is there any tar paper behind the siding? Right. And usually the answer was right. no. They were never built with tar paper, or the tar paper was so old it had disintegrated. That The question to me would be then, am I going to insulate those walls? And the answer was usually no. Because if, that, if there's no water-resistant barrier, which is not the siding, it's the tar paper under the siding, you're going to have a huge mess. So I would just basically say, you know what? I can't do it. There's no way to do it. I've had people open the walls up. Yeah, and they would put Tyvek or something and kind of, and I think Reisinger has a, a video on this where they put spacers, like a three-quarter inch spacers, and then they put like one-inch foam, and they would put it up against the, you know, they have so they have a little ventilation cavity and they had a little they had somehow vented at the top and the bottom right. and then they would pack the rest of the cavity with insulation and that's the only way they could figure but more that's a lot of fussing around so yeah it's like where do you stop and start yeah some of those row houses in san francisco is just easy just yeah you only got so much exposure to the elements anyway it's like wasn't worth the effort yeah well it is what yeah. it is. I mean, uh, um, beautiful houses, but hard to do anything with. So. Well, thanks, Charles. I really appreciate your time and talking shop with me. Great pleasure to hear from you, and uh, good luck with your project here. So. All right. Thanks, buddy. Take care, huh? And keep in touch. And tell Andy I said hello. And thanks, Charles. All See right. ya. All Take right. Care. Bye. Thanks.